You know, if you think about this time of year, we often get that question, are you ready for Christmas? And I don't know about you, but it seems like Christmas has come just in, in, in just uh, so suddenly. Uh, and I think we're ready, but you never know if you're totally ready. But I have another question for you. Are you feeling it this Christmas? You know, sometimes uh, as we approach Christmas, we, we might have everything done, but somehow our emotional levels aren't quite where they need to be in terms of expecting Christmas to be like Christmas past or the Christmas future that we're really hoping it to be. And uh, that can often happen not only in your own individual family or own, your own individual experience, but it can also happen at church. As we began the kind of the Christmas season, the Advent season, it was after the second service uh, the first Sunday in December, and I had a number of people come to me and they were traumatized. They, were just, they just thought we just couldn't go on because something was missing. In fact, more specifically, someone was missing. Uh, we have a number of nativity scenes uh, around the, uh, the campus here, and there's one particularly in the, in the fellowship center, and they said, we, we can't go on. We can't have Christmas. And I said, why can't we have Christmas? Because we've lost Jesus. You know, they, they were looking in the manger scene, and there, there was no Jesus. And, and so we had this, this hunt for Jesus. And it is pretty hard to have uh, Christmas without Jesus. How can you have Christmas without Christ? And so we began to hunt for Jesus. And let me just tell you, Jesus could not be found. We looked everywhere. And so I thought, well, I need to come up with some kind of solution. If, if God doesn't uh, arrive on the scene, then we've got to help him out, right? And so I went to Etta, who who leads our children's ministry, and said, you've got to get a substitute Jesus for me. Uh, you've you got to go out somewhere, and you need to buy Jesus and put him back in the manger. And I discovered who really had donated the nativity scene for this particular Christmas season, and they said, well, we can't do that. We can't have a substitute Jesus. I'll just have to buy a new nativity scene. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty expensive. You know, you have to throw out your nativity scene because you can't find Jesus. And, and then I... Th- then I thought a little bit more. I said, you know, that probably isn't theologically um, helpful to say I can just get a substitute Jesus. I think the Bible talks about that. You shouldn't be going down that path. And, and so I continued to search. And so I, I went everywhere on this church campus. And then I decided I'd go up into the attic. There's an attic, in case you haven't been aware of that. It's beyond the, um, the organ uh, contraption there up there. I shouldn't call that a contraption. But anyway, uh, and I began to search for Jesus. And I saw a nativity box. And the nativity box was all kinds of styrofoam, and I began to look frantically. And, and then I found at the bottom of the box, I found the baby Jesus. <laughs> and, and so in case you wonder if I'm really good for anything, you can just look back at December 2017, and your pastor found Jesus, all right? And I know a way in the manger say there was no crying in the manger, but he was crying in the box, you know, when I got him. <laughs> now, now, in case you think I'm being a little sacrilegious here this morning, is that uh, I hope you realize that Christmas is not about finding Jesus in the manger in some nativity scene that you might have, though I think it is important to have Jesus in your nativity scene. But it really is having Jesus in your life, isn't it? You know, often we'll talk about having Jesus in your heart, and if you've come here this morning, and I've got, I got my pickleball friends here, wave your hands here a little bit, I told them I'd call them out, um, and, and they say they'll give you free lessons if you want to learn the, the fastest growing sport in America, pickleball, but, uh, but as we think about Christmas, we really want to, to know what it's all about, and we don't want to just look at it in, in some kind of portrayal, in a nativity scene, or in some kind of light show. But we want to look to what God has said about what Christmas is all about. And and really, what is the gift at Christmas? Well, what does Christmas really give us? And there's so many ways we could answer that question. But 
This morning I want to focus on really the theme, that, I, and the Nelsons did such a great job here today in terms of summarizing the, just the singular message we wanted to get across this Advent season. It's, it's all about that God has made us some promises. And when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And what it, really when you think about, well, what is the result of, of knowing that the promises that are made to you are going to be kept? And really the truth about that is if there's going to be a promise given to you and, and it's going to be kept, then you can really have hope for what's coming next. And so if you have your outline this morning, it might help you kind of follow along as I try to race through some things this morning. But what does Christmas give us? Give us? Among other things, and I think fundamentally what it does, it gives us hope. It gives us hope that the, there's, there's something in the midst of all that goes on in our lives, some, some of it's good, some of it's bad, that uh, we can look ahead and realize that God has a plan for us. And his love can be showered upon us, and we can experience the, the promises kept that he has made in the past, and that we can experience them now, and even more so in the future. But, but I want to talk about hope a little bit, and I was reading an article this past week about someone, in fact, the title of the article was Lamenting Christmas. And really, they described their experience as they were entering into the season as, as more of being in, in the South Pole rather than the North Pole. And hopefully you kind of get that little metaphor there, is that really, we, we can be on the South side of feeling good about Christmas this year for a variety of reasons, and we could even say legitimate reasons. But in the midst of having things go wrong in your life this past year and kind of looking into the new year with things that are lost as well as things that might have been gained, but the loss seems to outweigh the gain, is that God wants you to be on the North Pole. He, he wants you to realize that God has given you hope this Christmas. But I guess if we're going to look at hope, we have, we have to kind of define it a little bit. And, and I, I want to talk about what it isn't before I talk about what it is. First of all, hope is not a feeling, or it's not just a feeling. I mean, we all are emotional people. God wants us to experience the, the rush of, of things that are happening in a, in a positive way. But if we only define hope as a feeling, then there are going to be many times in our, in our daily experience that we have no hope because we're not feeling it, right? We're not always feeling Christmas like it used to be, but that doesn't mean we can't have hope that this Christmas can be not only merry and meaningful because hope is not simply a feeling. It's got to be more than that. Or we're going to be just tied to our emotional roller coaster that goes up and down based on the circumstances that we're in. I also want to submit to you, it's, it's not just positive thinking. You know, the whole story about uh, Pollyanna, that it, no matter what it was like outside or what was going on, she always saw the rainbow in the sky. But the reality is, if, if we're looking at life that way, where we just, we kind of, draw a happy face on everything that goes on, and we, we paint a smile on our face, and we're just going to be positive no matter what goes on, then, then really that's not really being in touch with reality. We can have an experience of going through life with faith thinking, but positive thinking will run dry pretty quick because not everything that happens in life is positive. Would we agree with that? We're not called to be Pollyannish and, and, and go outside when it's raining and think that the sun is shining. It's not always shining. Maybe some parts of the world, but it might not be shining where we're living. So hope can't be simply a feeling. It can't simply be positive thinking. And I also want to say this. It's, it's not just a good thing. I think we would all agree if we had a test hit right now or a quiz, pop quiz, and said, do you think having hope is a good thing? And I think we'd all what? We'd all agree 
But I want to submit to you, it's not just a good thing, it's an essential thing. Because if somehow we lose hope, really the direction of our life is going downward. It's not going to be progressing upward. If you lose hope, you really lost it. And Christmas is more than a cute story. In fact, if you really look at the Christmas story, and we've tried to do that this year and other years as well, it wasn't always cute for people, even that first Christmas. There were families that lost their children because Jesus came here. Herod went out and slaughtered little little babies, particularly boys that were two years and younger because Jesus was a threat to him. And what would you do if that was your experience? Would, would you lose all hope? See, hope is not simply a good thing. It's essential. Have you ever heard of the rule of three? The rule of three goes something like this, and this is the necessity of hope. Uh, you know, we can go about three months without companionship. And I kind of struggle with that. What does that really mean? I mean, if you were in solitary confinement, does that mean you can only last there three months? Well, really the idea here is if we have no sense there's anybody out there for us, you can last about three months that way. You can go about three weeks without food. You can go about three days without water. You can do three hours without shelter in extreme conditions. You can go about three minutes without air. But you can only last three seconds without hope. Now, you might be thinking, sometimes I'm that way. I'm, I'm thinking the contrarian way. I say, well, you know, I, I think I can hold my, my breath a little bit longer in three minutes, maybe three minutes in a second, you know, whatever it might be. But these are pretty close, the rule of three. Uh, I was reading about the Associated Press released an article uh, about a French rescuer who pulled a teenage girl out of an earthquake rubble at the destroyed College of St. Gerard in Port-au-Prince, and she had been there for 15 days. Now, they say you can somehow break the, the rule of three in a, in a measured way if, if you have entered into that challenge fully hydrated and you've had a pretty good meal over the last number of weeks or months. You're in good health condition and somehow you are in a sheltered area where you're not getting into extreme consequences of, of being in a dangerous place. But 15 days is about as long as you could have lasted. And so I want to share with you this morning that hope is not simply a feeling. It's not simply positive thinking. It's not a good thing. It's an essential thing. And the question is, well, then what is hope? That's what it isn't. Well, tell me what it is. And just like a lot of things with the use of language is that sometimes we define things in various ways. Have you noticed when you... well? If you don't Google it like Chris does, you know, if you don't Google a definition or look up an old Webster's, there are usually multiple definitions for words. Have you ever had that experience? Okay. And, and so basically what those who write dictionaries or put things in, on the Internet, they, they give you options of how people use certain words. And people define hope in a variety of different ways. But what I want to look at this morning is, is God's view of hope. How does God use the word hope? For us, sometimes hope is, is wishful thinking. I hope, I hope it happens. I hope it happens. I, I'm, just, I'm just wishing it'll just happen just exactly as I've dreamed it would happen. And, and you can go on in life being kind of a, a positive person and thinking things are going to turn out right, but they don't always turn out right. But you're, you're kind of filled with anticipation. Things are going to plan out that, according to the plan that you have. 
But, but God doesn't want to enter into life, and even this Christmas, with just wishful thinking it's going to be a good Christmas or it's going to be a good New Year in 2018 or, or, or whatever you're struggling with. He, he wants you to understand that when God uses the word hope, and it's a gift at Christmas, it is a conviction. It is a conviction of what will happen. Not might happen, could happen, but will happen. Another way to put it is this. It's a confident expectation of a better future. That no matter what you're going through, and maybe many of you here this morning think you're going well for you, and, and, and praise God for that. I'm glad you're going through good times, but... Good times don't last here on this earth. There, there are going to be some challenges that you will face. And, and sometimes when challenges are faced that way, we say, well, where, what happened to God? Where did God go? And so we need to understand that God wants us to have hope through life, a confident expectation of, of a better future, a conviction of what will happen, not might happen. But, but how does that fit? This evening, we're going to look at hope in a slightly different way, in, a, in an abbreviated way, but we're going to look at how does, how does God give us hope? But this morning, I want to kind of reemphasize what we've been sharing for the last number of weeks, and it was summarized by Chris this morning, is that, well, how does God give us hope? How, 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 does, how does he do it? How can we have hope because of Christmas? Well, number one, it's because God kept his promise at Christmas. And we already heard there, there's quite a few promises in that book, whether you count them 3,000, 5,000, or 12,000, whatever that number was, is that God kept his promise at Christmas. And, and I just want to give you one. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 5, and I think this result, relates in how we live and what we would all want, he begins this way in Isaiah. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. And let me just take a step back here. We talked you know, about the, the white pages between the last book in the Old Testament and the first book in the New Testament. You got Malachi, you got Matthew, and what happened between those periods of time. It was 400 years of God not talking, not speaking. It was silent years. Where, where, where God want, God's people wanted a, a word from God, all people want a word from God, and they were listening, and, and God wasn't, wasn't communicating any new material. Where, where was God? Well, you can take those 400 years and you can back up the train a little bit further. When Isaiah wrote, it was 700 years before Jesus came, before Christmas came. And what did he say to them? He said, comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, and that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The more we sin, the more God is able to forgive us our sins because there's more to forgive. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. What does that sound like? That sounds like part of the Christmas story, doesn't it? Mark begins his Christmas story that way. He says, oh, oh by the way, when this all starts, there's going to be someone crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus at Christmas. And we talked about that, and I want to talk about that this morning, is, is we get ready for Christmas to experience the hope that we can have in Christmas there has to be a preparation of our heart to receive what he wants to give us at Christmas. Or we'll have that experience of someone giving us a gift, but we never unwrap it. 
someone is sending us a card and we never open the card. And, and, and God has something for all of us at Christmas. And what he wants to give us is hope. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Wouldn't that be an awesome experience that the, the challenges of life, God just smooths them out? There's no more mountains to climb because there's, a, there's just a straight path for us to live. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What happens at Christmas, and this is the reason we can believe that, that God will give us a conviction, a confident expectation of a better future, because God has, God has kept his promise at Christmas. And this is just one of them. And, and the, the one promise here is that I'm going to let you know that I have sent the one that's going to make everything different and better for you, and I'll prepare the way. I'm going to send someone out to cry in the wilderness. And that's what Mark and John announced so clearly. And when, when someone keeps a promise to you, it, it's, so, it's so comforting, isn't it? I, I can trust that person. I can rely upon that person. And, and one of the results of, of knowing that God has your future in his hands is you can be comforted in the midst of whatever you're going through. For 700 years, God's people experienced horrific hardship. And, and let's be honest, after Jesus came... They have still experienced that. And throughout the world, God's people have experienced all kinds of trials and martyrdom because of their faith. But, but God says, I want you to be comforted because in the midst of life, you can know for sure that your future is going to be so much better. God kept a promise at Christmas. But I want you to know, and we've shared that already this morning, that God is able to keep all of his promises. I was wondering if, if Chris was going to use all my passages this morning, but he left one out. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. God is able and willing to keep his promises. And because of that, we can know for sure that, that the promises that we have for the future will come true. You know, there are all kinds of things that can, in a temporal way, ruin your Christmas. Uh, Mark is in our family. He's leading worship today. He's been sick for four or five days. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking, this is going to be a horrible Christmas. I'm sick, you know. But see, Chris, but Christmas and each day you live is not dependent upon what circumstance you're going through at that particular moment. Because you know that God's got your life in his hands and what he has prepared for you is going to be better than anything this world could offer. And the reason we know that is God is able to keep his promises. I, I have, I was going to say I had four kids. I haven't lost them yet. But I have four kids. And I remember as we were raising the kids and, and we... We made it a, just a passion of our life, Alice and I, that we would enjoy our kids at every stage of life. We just enjoyed them immensely and still do. But that doesn't mean there were some challenges. And, and I don't know, did this ever happen in your home where, where sometimes uh, your kids would pit mom and dad against each other? Did that ever happen? Did, did they ever come to you sometime when they were hoping for something in the, in the, in the, 
in the normal way we say that they were wishing something would happen and, and it didn't happen. And they would come back to you and say, well, mom promised. And then they would say to mom, well, dad promised. And all of a sudden they were just coming at us with all these promises that somehow they didn't think we fulfilled. And sometimes they invented the promises that we had made. And, and then sometimes actually the promises that we had made we had said, but we were incapable of fulfilling them. Have you ever had that experience? In, in the best intentions of your heart, you wanted to be able to, to take that trip that they wanted to, to take or they wanted to experience that, that experience that, that they had anticipated or maybe there was a certain gift they wanted and we had planned to get it but somehow that gift was no longer there in the stores or it became a little bit higher price than we thought they would be and we, we, couldn't, we couldn't deliver. And there became a period of time, I remember this distinctly. I had to tell all four kids, I just want to let you know, from this day on, there are no promises. <laughs> there are no promises. And the reason I said that is because sometimes I can make a promise that I can't actually come through. If you ever watch TV programs, it's amazing to me, uh, it's particularly like in the, 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 the law and the detectives and the, and the criminal pursuit, and they'll make promises you know, when someone who's this experienced something, I, I, we will get that person. We will, I promise you, we'll deliver that person to justice. Or if someone has lost a child, I promise you that we will find that child. And I'm thinking, how can you promise that? I mean, that child might be dead. How can you, how can you say you're going to get that person and bring them to justice? Maybe they had the perfect crime and you can't, you can't get to them. There's all kinds of times that we'll make promises and, and they don't come through. And, and the more we get promises given to us that don't come true, we begin to think, well, maybe that's how God is. Sometimes God can't come through. God keeps all of his promises. And he, he's given us a track record. And particularly at Christmas where you can see this. And, and just running through a few things here in your outline is that in Zechariah 9.9, he promised a righteous but also a humble king. In Isaiah 7, 14, he promised that the king would come, the Messiah would come as a virgin birth, and he would be called Emmanuel. And in case you wonder, well, how could he be called Emmanuel? I thought his name was Jesus. There were a number of titles that Jesus had. He was, his last name wasn't Christ, in case you didn't figure that one out. Okay. Um, his name was Jesus. He came to save us from our sins. Christ means he was the promised one, the anointed one. He was Emmanuel. It wasn't that people ran around calling him Emmanuel, come to dinner. Is that Emmanuel, they began to realize that it was God with us. It was God in the flesh. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it said he would be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 9, 7, he would be worthy of the throne of David. In Hosea 11, 1, he would, he would live in Egypt. What a random thing to say. He'd be born in Bethlehem. Oh, by the way, he's going to have to take a side trip to Egypt. Then all these things were to give us conviction that, that all these things that happened to Jesus were confirmation that he is who he claimed to be. We, we don't even believe in the Christ of Christmas because it's wishful thinking. We're convinced it's true, and because it's true, that gives us hope, conviction that, that God's promises that were fulfilled will be fulfilled, that our future will be better. In Malachi 3.1, it says he'd enter the temple in Jerusalem. That's exactly what he did when he was 12 years of age. And he confounded the best minds of that day as he entered the temple. So what's the point this morning? 
The point is that God wants you to understand the gift at Christmas. And the gift of Christmas is no matter whether you're feeling it or not, is that God wants you to have hope that whatever you're going through, that it's going to get better. And even in the journey, it's going to get better. This evening, I'm going to talk about how, how God gives us hope for today and for tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. But the key thing is to understand that no matter what you're going through, he goes with, with you through that. And then in the, and in the future, it's going to be so much better. And maybe you've experienced some situations where, where you were losing. I don't care if it was losing in your family life or losing, you know, in a competition or, or losing it in some other financial endeavor. But if you knew for certain that in the end you would win... Wouldn't that that change how you went through that that challenge? And that's what Christmas promises us. No matter what you're going through, that that God goes through it with you, and in the end, we win because we're on God's side. That's what Christmas is all about. How, even at that first Christmas, they endure all the hardship they went through unless they knew that God was faithful. It wasn't wishful thinking. It was a conviction that God always goes with us. So how do we know that, that we can have hope? God keeps his, kept his promise at Christmas. God is able to keep all of his promises, not like us. And then God's promises are an anchor to our soul. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, an interesting passage here. It says, in the same way God, desiring even more to show to the errors of the promise of the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's kind of, kind of complicated language, but he says, I want you to understand that it's a good thing that God is unchangeable. Because we can all be a little fickle at times, can't we? We, you know, we wake up one day and we're, <laughs> you know, we act a certain way because we're in a good mood. And then the next day we wake up and we went on the wrong side of the bed and and now, uh, you know, we're, we're not in such a good mood. And, and people are, sometimes, some people you have to be very careful when you're around them because you don't know how they're going to act that day, right? God never changes. And, and in case you understand that, he, he never changes. And because he never changes, when he says something, it's going to happen. And whether it's a promise or an oath, God, it's impossible for God to lie. And he says, because of that, we have taken refuge with strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And depending upon how challenging your life is at any moment of any day, this is your place of refuge. This is your safe place. This is your, your point of security. And because of that, your, your spirits can be lifted up. You can be encouraged even in the midst of whatever you're going through. And then I like this statement. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, which is the symbol of that forgiveness that we were given completely when Jesus satisfied all that which kept us from him, which was our sin. But he said, hope is really that which should anchor you. Are you ever amazed when you look, go to like places where it's the Queen Mary or if you've ever been on a cruise ship and, and you, you wonder, why do they put an anchor on this huge ship? 
Because this is a pretty big boat, right? And that anchor, even as big as it is, how could it be drawn down and give any kind of stability for a, show, for a boat this size? And yet, as we think through our life, there are certain things where we think, I, 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 I can handle this, but I know I couldn't handle that. Then if you go through life that way, God, I can only take so much, and if you, if you do this, I know I, I know I will not be able to handle it. And if you do that, you're going to go through life with fear. Because everything that you hold dear could be lost this side of eternity. But what God is saying to us, that uniquely his people, in the midst of living in a world that is so filled with uncertainty. I mean, how many people could predict what just happened this last year? It is just amazing. I mean... It makes no sense. But God says in the midst of an uncertain world, there's something that is certain is that having a conviction, a confident expectation, not what might happen but will happen, that God's people has a, have a better future promised for them and it's settled because of Christmas. That no matter what you go through, you have an anchor that will make you Secure in the midst of the storms of life. I always wonder what illustrations I'm going to use. You know, I don't like to talk about my dad dying this last year because it's always talk to talk about it. Um, And, you know, this last Thursday, I did a service for Riona, for Richard, and they wanted a small service, a graveside service. So she's lost her husband at Christmas. A few months ago, we, we didn't lose my dad, and we didn't lose Richard. We know where he is. But Christmas is different this year. <laughs> and I was thinking about, you know, my message title, the, the gift, the truth about the gift of Christmas. And I want, I want to, I want to bring it down to. Uh, you know, the depth of who we are. And John, dad, passed away just recently. And many of you have gone through what I've gone through. And, and I, I don't... And, and you can name whatever other challenge you've gone through. But as I think about gifts, I like gifts. As a little boy, I, I never could understand... It's better to give than receive. I always wanted to receive, okay? <laughs> um, but if, if you could promise me any gift in this world and measure it with the gift that I have with a hope which is a confident conviction 
that I'll see my dad again. There's nothing you could offer me. And that's why the gift of Christmas is so much more that we know what life's all about. We know what the future is. There's nothing we really miss when we know what's really important and and that God has a plan for those who know him and love him. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't want us to have hope dealing with the challenges of life here because when we know our future is settled, it's, it's a motivation to live day by day in a way that's It's life-changing. Like what one author wrote in a book called Hope Quotient. He wrote this. When people become more hopeful, it changes their view about their health because they start on the path of doing those things that get them in better shape. When people are more hopeful, realizing that, that God has a settled future for us, then we are more anxious and eager to break bad habits and start winning battles we've never won before. When, when people are filled with hope about their kids, they find new energy to invest in their kids. When people get hope in their marriages, they start making better decisions. When people become more hopeful, even about their finances, they begin to develop patterns that lead to financial freedom. When people become more hopeful about their future, hope is the match that lights the fuse that sends them back to school or helps them apply for a new job or helps them grow and develop. That's a it's a mouthful, but simply, look, when you're filled with hope knowing that God's future is settleable, why not I take advantage of what he's given me today to live for him and not give up? When people become more hopeful, they can actually connect with God. It, feels, it fuels the kind of actions that lead them to spiritual vitality and health. If throughout eternity, I'm going to have the blessed experience of knowing God deeply. Why not, I, why not start right now and develop that relationship each day of my life? Because our future is settled, then we know that every day matters. Our future is filled with a conviction it's going to be so much better than it is now. And even if things are good now, it's going to be better then. So let's take everything I have, every, every gift and talent, resource I have, and really live it and invest it in that which really matters. As I close this morning... It's interesting as you look at the Christmas story, and this is kind of the so what. There is a qualification to experience the hope that God wants to give everyone. And it's kind of a, 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 a two-point message that is given very clearly at Christmas. We've encouraged you to, to memorize God's Word and because it just changes how you live and what you know about God. In Luke chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we have the angel coming, and he comes at night, and he, well, I don't know if he comes at night, but he, he said to them all, he says, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And, and, and what, he, what he shares there about the gift is that it's a gift both in dealing with the negative in life. You don't have to live a life of fear. Don't be afraid. Why? Because there's a message of, of hope that will result in joy, and it's for everyone. 
So the message was given to everybody, but not everyone experiences. Why? Because if you go down a little bit further in that passage in Luke chapter 2, at verse 11 comes verse 12, in case you haven't figured that out. In Luke 12, 2 verse 12, it says this, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And Aren't you glad that I found Jesus you know, in the manger up in the box? And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. But then it says this. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. So we need to recognize in the midst of God wanting to give the gift of hope to everyone, the gift of hope and the, peace, and the gift of peace and the gift of joy, there is a qualification. It will only be received by those with him whom he is pleased. Now, if this verse was isolated in this text, we might say, well, then I better clean up my act. I better get a lot better. I better get more religious. Or I might, you know, I need to, whatever it might be. But you know how you please God? You please God by trusting him. In Hebrews eleven six, it says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's rewarded of those who seek him. So this morning, I want to close with this. And we're going to continue to worship and hopefully cement what we've been trying to share this morning as we sing the songs of praise to God. But you can be in that camp in which God is pleased with you if you trust him. Trust him with your life. Rely upon him, depend upon him, surrender your life to him. And you, you would not give your life to anybody that you couldn't trust. And he is the one who can take that which separates you from him, which is your sin, which was true of me as well. And because that one who was in the cradle went to the cross, he can forgive you of everything you've ever done if you'll trust him. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray this, this morning that every one of us here might trust you. For some this morning, it might be for the very first time. They've heard the Christmas story many, many times, and it's, it's got majesty, it's got beauty, but we never want to forget it has a message. And the message is that we need to know that Jesus came to be our Savior, the Savior from our sin. And trusting you is, is very simple, but it's not easy. It's saying, and this would be the prayer to him, Dear Jesus, I, I want to give up control of my life. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to follow your way, not my way. I want to give my life to you because I trust you that you have a better future for me. And then, Father, for us who've already made that commitment and those who will make that commitment today for the first time, you'll answer that prayer because you always answer your promises. You'll change them on the inside because they've trusted in you. But for us who've already known you, might we be honest with you? And where, where is it in my life I'm not trusting you? doesn't mean it'll be easy, but where do I need to trust you that no matter what I face, I can have hope because I can have a conviction, a confident expectation that my future is in your hands 
And it's only going to be better when I see you face to face. Help this Christmas be a, a Christmas in which we trust in the one who made the promises and always keeps them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.